Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis Productions. Dear Young Rocker, you're about to play your first DIY house show. Congratulations. Another great first as you enter the world of underground rock. Strangely enough, it'll be another 10 years until the next time you play one again, and to make up for lost time, you will do a heck of a lot of them when you're older. Despite how significantly harder it becomes to allocate the time and energy to do so in your 30s. But as for now, I can't imagine stopping anytime soon. Every time I think about doing so, I meet someone 20 or 30 or more years older than me at a show and go, nope, not my time yet. There's still a good amount of rock left in me. But enough about me. You were plenty cool before you played in a band. You just didn't know it. I'm so glad you found a way to feel good about yourself, at least occasionally. I know the whole relationship thing is still very confusing and kind of a bummer. You'll sort it out eventually, and I can tell you for certain it's much less important than it feels like it is right now. Music is a thing that will last forever in your life and always bring you some kind of joy. Whereas high school relationships? Huh. Thankfully, those won't impact your life very much once you leave them in the dust. I wish you could see how small and unimportant they are from my perspective, looking back at your life. But I know currently they loom as large as anything, and I don't want to be dismissive of your feelings. These things matter very much to you right now, and they feel like these big, impossible monoliths stuck in front of you on your path. These experiences will teach you a lot, so they do in fact matter, but I promise there's a way around them and a light at the end of the tunnel. Now go out there and show them all what you can do. I walk around the back of the house to the basement door. There's a kid stationed there collecting money. He's this kind of weird kid I had a crush on in middle school. I guess I like weird. He used to wear giant pants like me, and one time he wore a homemade cape made out of duct tape to school. I never felt cool enough to talk to him very much. He doesn't seem to remember me, even though we were 8th grade graduation partners. He asks me for $3.00. That'll be $3. Oh, I'm playing. What band are you in? Uh, the New Animals. Oh, cool. Thanks. Goodbye, Invisible Chelsea. Hello, Cool Chelsea, who plays house parties. A punk band plays first. They're super loud, and I think it's kind of silly how they all have bullet belts and studs all over their leather jackets. I know they probably live in big houses in the suburbs of our dumb, boring towns, just like us, but they want to look like cool city crust bunks. It's fun to jump around and push each other to the music, though. It's our turn to go on after them. 
When we play, people thrash around to elevator ride. When I start playing the ska bass line I had written for a new song, some kids start skanking. The senior bass player from Orchestra, who I think is kind of cool and cute too, is skanking the hardest. Heck yeah. We start to back up to get out of the way of the next band. Suddenly, someone starts yelling, Get out! Go upstairs! Cops! What the heck? I hadn't seen a single person drinking a beer or smoking pot or anything. No one seems messed up. Maybe a couple people were smoking cigarettes outside, but that's about it. No time to think about it, though. We all grab as much of our stuff as we can and run upstairs. The house is really junky. I'm worried we'll accidentally leave some of our gear in the clutter. I'm bummed because the older band that I really like hadn't gotten to play at all. I really wanted to hear their song that starts with, Put your pants on. It's not fair. This is already the second time cops have sort of ruined a show of ours. I hear the kid that was throwing the party talking to the cops saying, I asked all the neighbors beforehand and they all said it was okay. Me and Nick lose track of Ricky, who's with his friend Drew. Drew's mom shows up in her SUV and takes them away with Ricky's amp and guitar, but leaves me and Nick with the entire drum kit, plus my bass amp and bass. After a while, my mom shows up in her little VW Beetle. We have no idea what we're going to do, but the cops keep yelling at us to get out, and we try to explain we have all this gear. They finally let us in to get it. A kid on the sidewalk is saying his car keys are downstairs, but the cops won't let him back in, and he's going to have to walk home. With my mom's help, we somehow get the entire drum kit and a bass amp in the back of the car. That means only the front passenger seat is open for both me and Nick. He sits in the seat with some junk on his lap, and I squish myself on the dashboard underneath the windshield. I always wondered why this car had such a weird, deep, long dashboard. Now I know. We drive home like that. Honestly, I feel kind of cool for playing a show that got busted by the cops. So, after we went to Chris's house and he saw Nick kiss me, he sent me an AIM message that said, I didn't know you were with Nick. I just said, yeah. We kept chatting after that, but my situation made me so mad that I tried to just not think about him. There was no way it could happen anyway, so I focused on my band and trying to like Nick more. We were getting to play more and more shows, and we started printing out flyers to pass out at school. Soon enough, everyone seemed to know about us thanks to that and Ricky's big mouth. I was starting to sort of feel like someone in a way, but I still definitely didn't feel cool when we played the school talent show. They called it Wachusett Idol. So dumb. Obviously created by the student government, Ricky and I both showed up wearing pixie shirts. We had recently changed our band name to Fairway Hazard. 
after a newspaper article about a homeless man living in a sand trap on a golf course in Florida. For some reason, we were the only band signed up to play it, even though there are definitely other bands at the school. We sat through gymnastics routines, tap dancing, and lip-syncing. They closed the curtains between acts to be dramatic, so we stood on the stage holding our instruments for a minute behind them. I looked down at the clear bass that I had somehow convinced my parents to buy on eBay for my birthday. I had seen a picture in Bass Player magazine of Black Sabbath's Geezer Butler playing a clear bass and decided I needed one. It had been only like $125, but it was made of clear acrylic. You could see right through it, and I put red-colored strings on it. Now I realized that I wished I had brought my more normal-looking bass. I hope I didn't look like a show-off to my classmates. When the curtains opened, we saw that everyone in the audience was sitting down. Ugh. I felt like I wanted to just walk off the stage as I looked at the bored faces in the audience. I was so self-conscious, I couldn't get into the music at all. Suddenly, all of our songs seemed bad and really long. I didn't nod my head along or really move at all. It felt impossible to get into it if the people watching weren't. The applause was pitiful. Unfortunately, the town newspaper wrote about the talent show. The picture they chose for the article was of us, but mostly me. I felt embarrassed when I saw it because we didn't even win and there were way more popular kids in the show. The caption said there were 13 bands, even though there definitely were not. I imagined other kids who performed looking at my picture and making fun of me. Ew, what a weirdo. Oh my god, it's (laughs) Chelsea in the paper. Then I imagined all the parents of the popular kids too. I thought of them getting annoyed that their talented, popular child didn't get their picture taken and wondering who this very ungirly-looking girl dressed kind of like a boy was. I figured the newspaper people just thought a girl rock musician was such a rare sight in stupid, lame, conservative central Massachusetts that they had to document me like some kind of endangered bird who wandered through their territory. I'm a little worried that my band is becoming endangered, too. Over winter break was when Ricky started calling me on the phone to talk, like, every night. We talk a lot about music and movies and our cats and guitars and stuff and make up stories together. I guess we've become pretty good friends. Maybe even best friends. We're in string orchestra together, too, so we see each other a lot at school. At band practice, Nick and Ricky keep yelling at each other, and I think it's because Nick can tell we've gotten closer. Sometimes when Ricky's joking around, he'll poke me with a drumstick or jump on my back or something, and Nick always gets really mad and yells at him or grabs him and wrestles him to the floor. What is your problem, dude? No, no, stop! Stop! No, what are you doing? After our last show, we were all in Ricky's mom's minivan, 
and Ricky started tapping a drumbeat on my boot, and Nick kept hitting his hand away. It felt... It felt nice. I kind of really like getting attention from someone who isn't Nick. Actually, Ricky is kind of the opposite of Nick now that I think about it. Nick is kind of lazy and has man boobs. But Ricky's super skinny and hyper with curly dark hair, and he isn't pale like Nick. Ricky and me seem more into the music, too, and have more similar taste anyway. Sometimes at practice, me and Ricky think a song should sound one way, and then Nick refuses to play it that way and says, Stop telling me what to do. Let me do what I want. And throws his sticks right at Ricky. When my mom picked me up at practice the other day, she said, Ricky, like, really likes you. Don't you see the way he looks at you? Wow. My stomach felt gushy. Someone really thinks I'm that great? So we changed the band name again. I grabbed a phone book and opened a random page and then ran my finger down a row with my eyes closed and stopped on a spot. When I opened them, I read Alden and Donna. That would be us from now on. To make it official, we made a MySpace page. But we needed some recordings. And that was how I ended up on my second trip to John's house. He said he had a studio set up in his basement because he wanted to go to college for music production and he could help us record three or four of our songs. So there I was back in old John's basement for the first time since me and Roya had been there as naive little freshmen. Now John had to watch us play. Ha! We recorded the bass and drums in the room together, and then Ricky added the guitars later. Nick had trouble keeping in time without Ricky playing. I kind of did too. We knew it wasn't going to sound too great, but it was something. Last, we did the vocals separately in the pink-tiled bathroom. When I went in there to do my backup singing parts, I felt really weird. The feeling came back to me from the last time I was in there when I had been scared. But it went away, and I belted it out. We called the EP Norwegian Hero, since that was the name of the single. I've been taking bass lessons with Ricky's guitar teacher, Jeff. Another thing we have in common. Jeff looks like his body has been permanently shaped around holding a guitar. He's way nicer than the old guy from summer camp who had asked me if I was actually doing anything or just turning the knobs back and forth when I tuned my bass, and he made me read all the bass parts I played from sheet music for no reason. 
Jeff gives me sheet music to help, too, but I don't have to read from it perfectly. Sometimes he'll play a song on the CD player and have me try to find the notes by ear. Some days I just really can't find them. It's like I'm hearing two notes at once or something, like a higher one and a lower one. It really frustrates me. But some days, it makes sense. I get really upset with myself when I can't figure stuff out by ear, because Ricky can do it so easily. At least Jeff will show me how to play it, and I can just copy him. I learned pretty much all of what is hip that way. It's not something I'd normally listen to, but it feels cool that I can play it. Maybe I'm getting kind of good, finally. I still don't know if I can write whole songs by myself yet, though. What my mom had said about Ricky liking me stayed on my mind for a while. It was on a loop in my head. Ricky like really likes you. 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 And that's what gave me the confidence to finally break up with Nick. I had even talked with Chris about it on AIM a few times. He said that yeah, if I don't like him, I should break up. He had made it sound so simple, but it seemed so impossible for so long. I had been really afraid of Nick hating me and being alone. But now I knew I wouldn't have to be if I didn't want to. I know it's probably dumb and mean to have to know someone really likes you to finally dump the person you don't like, but oh well, I guess it works. Plus, ever since we tried to, like, do it, I've known it was doomed. So, we weren't usually allowed to be home alone together, but during midterms, we both had a half day, and we met at my house while my mom was at work. I think it was kind of my idea, even though I wasn't, like, dying to do it with him at all. Honestly, I just felt like it's what you're supposed to do after dating for six months, right? And what you're supposed to want to do when you're 16 years old, unless you're some lame Christian person or a prude. So we got in my bed, and then we were both naked. As soon as I saw us that way together, I knew I was really not excited about this at all, but... I didn't say anything. We started making out, and he put on the thing. But it just didn't work. Okay, let me use a metaphor here. So, if someone is trying to visit someone else's house, but the door to the house is locked because the person who lives there is sort of not really into having visitors right now 
and uh, the visitor themselves isn't really sure they want to be there anyway, so they don't really knock on the door hard enough. Uh, anyway, when we gave up with that, he apologized as if it was totally his fault, even though I was just thinking, thank God. I reassured him it was fine, and I really, really meant it. We got dressed again. That's how I knew I really had to end it. If you want to be dating someone, you should want to do that, right? I guess my body said for me what I couldn't say with words. I went down to Nick's basement and sat on a stool in the practice room. The beige on the walls and the carpet suddenly seemed dirtier and sadder than ever. I told him I didn't want to go out anymore. It took a few tries to get the whole sentence out. For some terrible reason, my mouth kept smiling while I did it, and I had to keep choking down a laugh, even though I felt extremely awful. It probably looked like I was making fun of him, but I couldn't help it. I guess my body just has no idea what to do with emotions. No wonder it took me so long. Being serious is really, really hard. He asked me, are you sure? And then he started crying. I didn't expect that. I've never seen a guy cry before. I had really thought he was gonna get mad. I wanted to take him back so bad right then. Watching him cry, I wanted to hug him more than I've ever wanted to hug anyone in my life. I wondered if I was doing the wrong thing. I didn't want to hurt anyone. I didn't want him to be sad. Maybe I did love him. But I realized if I did, it was more like wanting to hug a friend or a brother. It was that kind of love. I still didn't really want to kiss him, so that had to be that. Eventually, I got up and left. This part is really terrible, but after that, I was with Ricky and his friend Drew at the mall. We were eating in the food court. They knew it was over with Nick. I had changed my AIM profile to some No Doubt lyrics, the song Ex-Girlfriend, but instead of the line, I should have thought of that before we kissed... I changed it to the version Gwen Stefani sings live sometimes. I should have thought of that before we, um, effed. So they thought I slept with him and said something like, how could you do that? Ew. I said I actually didn't really because it just didn't physically work and I made a gesture with my hand and one of them suggested he couldn't get it up. They laughed a lot. I felt pretty mean, but I liked how much they laughed at something I said. Maybe I gained some points for at least trying to do it. A week later, Joanna was over. She was my best friend when I was really little. We don't hang out a whole lot anymore, but we had a sleepover the night before, and we were goofing around on the computer, sending stupid messages to each other's friends on AIM. It was raining really bad out. Suddenly the phone rang. My mom handed it to me. It was Ricky. 
He was calling to ask me out, and he sounded really serious about it. He wanted to be with me so badly, he said. It was really obvious now that I thought about it. The idea of someone wanting me that much made me feel tingly. As dumb as it is, it made me feel, like, special. Did I want him too, though? Maybe I did. At least I wasn't totally grossed out by the idea of kissing Ricky, which was a great improvement over Nick. And we really were becoming best friends. But the way he was begging me with a whiny voice suddenly made me feel weird. It wasn't really attractive, but I guessed maybe it was just a sign of his passion for me. I asked if I could call him back later because my friend was over. He said no. It was now or never. If I didn't agree to go out with him, it would just be so painful for him to be around me that he would have to quit the band and we couldn't even be friends anymore. He'd even completely ignore me at school. I immediately felt like I was going to either throw up or faint. I sat down on the stairs. Now that I dumped Nick and really didn't see Colby or Roya that much anymore, Ricky and the kids he was friends with were pretty much the only people I had to sit with at lunch or talk to at school. If I lost that, I would be an absolute total no one. Before, I could have dumped Nick and still had friends, but now I had no choice. The thought scared me so much, I started hyperventilating and crying really, really hard. It was too much. I couldn't make this big of a decision right then. I held my hand over the phone and told my mom what was going on. She told me to tell Ricky to take a rain check so I could calm down and talk about it more. I got back on the phone and told him that, but he said no way and just kept saying, Chelsea, please, please, over and over. My mom and Joanna looked really concerned. Eventually, I said yes, if we kept it a total secret. There was a high school music department trip to Toronto shortly after that. Nick would be going with the band, and me and Ricky would be there with the orchestra. We found out each group had their own bus. Phew. But we still weren't safe. As we were getting on the bus, the orchestra teacher asked me if a pen had exploded in my hair. I had dyed half my head green and half blue a few days ago for the gig we played at the VFW North Brookfield the same place I had watched my first show. I tried to scrub the dye out afterwards, but my hair was still tinted. Ha ha, I said. Clearly, he was going to notice everything. We knew the music teachers watched closely to figure out who was dating. Our orchestra teacher even told us that. He said, these trips are where the couples come out. And I knew he especially didn't like Ricky because he was always messing around while he was trying to teach. So we had to be as discreet as possible, especially because we would all be in the same hotel. It was kind of exciting. Forbidden love. Ooh. We did figure out a way to get some alone time. We'd get into the elevator and press the top floor and then the bottom and make out during the ride and hope no one would be on the other side when the door opened. It was all mirrored inside there, and if I opened one eye, I could see us kissing. It looked kind of weird, and it made me like it less. So I decided to keep my eyes shut. 
After that trip, I went to Ricky's house, or he came over to mine every single day after school. And so we always arrived at band practice together. Nick didn't say he knew, but he must have sensed it. The band fights became way worse. I knew it was because of me. Girls are problems, and I was becoming a big one. During one of those practices, we played our old favorite elevator ride. Nick seemed to only want to play fast, though, and not slow down for the elevator music parts. He eventually got up and threw his drumsticks at Ricky before the song was supposed to end. Ricky asked Nick why he did it, and Nick told him to F off. I ignored the violence and said to Nick, It's okay. This song is old. We don't have to play it. What do you want to do instead? I don't know. Whatever. Before all this stupid dating stuff happened, I had felt like the bridge between the guitar and drums, finding the right tempo to keep everyone together. I had been the glue. I loved being the bass player. Now I felt like I was constantly using all my energy just to avoid a physical fight breaking out. It wasn't fun anymore. I had gone from being the glue to being the girl, the problem. Again, I wished I wasn't a stupid, useless girl. On the standardized tests at school, I wished I didn't have to fill in that female bubble and could instead write in bass player. Ricky and I knew the band couldn't continue like this, but after screwing him over by dating each other, we felt bad about kicking him out. So we decided to give him a chance and tell him he needed to change. An ultimatum. I was terrified. I knew I wouldn't be able to say it to him in person. I knew he was going to be so, so, so mad. Ricky and I typed up a letter on my mom's computer and printed it out. I wanted to just drop it off, but when we got to Nick's house, he came outside and wouldn't let me hand him the letter. He told us to just tell him what we wanted to say to his face. I couldn't even look him in the eye, so I opened the letter and read it out loud. He kept saying to stop reading and just talk to him. I couldn't. I was trembling. Ricky tried to help. When we were done, Nick said... All right, just kick me out if you want to. This is stupid. He was right. I hope we didn't kill the band. Dear young rocker, take a deep breath. Some doctors say anxiety is a breathing disease. When you get all caught up and breathless, it speeds up your bad thoughts and slows down the ones you should actually listen to. Cortisol, the stress hormone, flows through your veins and shuts down your reasoning and your perceptions of your own emotions. One lesson we should all learn, and that I am still working on myself now, is that just because your brain is telling you in that scared, anxious moment that you need to do something to get out of that scary spot as soon as you can, such as quickly saying yes to the boy begging you to date him, that doesn't mean you have to listen to it. 
sometimes our brains are just wrong. Just the same way that when you're already stuffed full of Chinese food and you see some great-looking Ben and Jerry's, as much as your brain tells you to dig in, you know it's going to give you some serious stomach pain. Or when your teacher or friend or relative says something passive-aggressive, you don't have to snap at her and tell her she's a witch. You can instead wait a minute and think of a better response. Once again, that's anxiety turning into what feels like anger. Our first thought isn't always right, especially if our mindset isn't in a good place. It's the make it end quickly right now thought, not the what's good for me in the long run thought. You have to let those stress hormones drain from your brain completely before your rational thoughts and your own connection to your deep emotional core will come back to you. In short, stress makes us dumb. We all have great wisdom within us, but stress and anxiety shuts it off like an emergency valve. This stuff was designed back when we were getting chased by saber-toothed tigers. We needed to just run away as quickly as possible, not sit around and decide what the best action plan was. So, in the modern world, it doesn't really work for us. And hey, I wish I had someone following me around still telling me this stuff as I navigate stressful adult situations now, even though they are more about jobs than boys and bands. Still about bands sometimes, though. In addition, you are not the problem. Do not blame yourself. These two dudes both coerced you into dating them and destroyed their friendship with each other in doing so. That is their fault and their problem as much as it feels like it's your life that's being messed with. You could be above this, walk away, and find new friends. As hard as high school is, I promise it's still the easiest time in your life to make friends, as long as you have the perspective to do so, and you don't right now, and that's okay. In this new situation with Ricky, you are assuming again that you have no power. But if you look at the evidence, you in fact have all the power. If these two dudes are so desperate to be with you, don't you think you're like maybe at least a little bit attractive or cool or fun to be around? They are begging and whining and crying to be with you. This means you have some sort of power over them, and you could use that power to probably make friends with or even go out with just about anyone you want. Or you could have used it to make your own dang ultimatum to your bandmates. Like, I won't be friends with you or be in the band any longer if you keep trying to push my boundaries. It's bad for the band, and the band is my biggest priority. I'm flattered you like me so much, but either cool it, or I'll have to take my song ideas and find a new drummer and guitarist. It is entirely possible the guys would do what you say. And if they were to refuse, you should understand that they aren't good people to be friends with anyway. Good friends shouldn't pressure you to make out with them and should respect you if you don't want to, 
no matter how hormonal they are. Period. When I feel that beast rise up in me now, the painful driving fear that makes me want to dive to the floor or quickly agree to something I don't really want to do or say yes to dating or taking back a nagging, whining man who has treated me poorly just because I'm worried about his happiness, I have to slow myself down, breathe, and take a look at my assumptions. Maybe one day it'll be automatic, but it's still a slow and difficult process for me now. So I say to both my younger self, my present self, and all the other people out there now who might struggle with social anxiety, it's always okay to take a long time deciding on things if you end up with decisions you want to live with. Don't let anyone rush you. Anyone who continually pushes you doesn't actually care about your well-being. Surround yourself with people who give you space and time. Anxiety speeds you up. Slow yourself down. By the way, when I look at that picture of you from Watch You Sit Idle, I think you look like a self-assured and totally badass rocker, which may have been the reason they chose the picture for the article. You look about a hundred times cooler than high school band pictures of most dudes I've seen. And the fact that you can play what is hip at age 16 is ridiculous. You are already good enough at bass to make money at it if you wanted to. Absolutely no joke there, kid. Of course, no boys would ever let you know how good you are. They're too threatened by you. Don't always assume the worst, kid. Love you. Reminder, we have a contest going on Instagram. Do you have something to say to your younger, awkward, music-loving self? Well, I want to hear it and see it. Please share your own hashtag DearYoungRocker photo on Instagram for a chance to win a cool throwback prize pack, including an old-school CD player and a Dear Young Rocker jersey. To enter, share a photo from your own awkward rocker phase. Use hashtag DearYoungRocker and tag me at DearYoungRocker and follow Double Elvis. I've been loving what I've seen so far, and I can't wait to see more and read more of your stories. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. It was written and created by me, Chelsea Erson. Additional music and sound design by myself, Sean Cahalan, and Jack Pombriant, who also engineered this episode. Again, my bandmates from my band Banana, Justin Cole, and Ryan Higgins appear playing the parts of my high school bandmates in this episode. Please follow me on Twitter at RockerDeer and Instagram at DearYoungRocker, where I'll post a totally sweet playlist every week to go along with the episode, plus that little contest I mentioned. As always, I love hearing from you guys about how the show makes you feel and the memories and feelings it brings up to you, so please keep sending me those wonderful messages. But if the show really moved you, what would really mean something to me is for you to just tell other people about it who you think might like it, Share it with them on social media or give them a text or, you know, just say the words Dear Young Rocker at their face because I want this show to help as many people as possible. Thank you.
Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis Productions. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.